I want to talk to you about um, the fact that we have some important business to conduct this week. Uh, On Saturday, we will celebrate the life of Alina Mojica Jones, and uh, she has lived a marvelous life, lived unto the Lord, and certainly it wasn't long enough for her family and for us, uh, but God's timing is always um, perfect, even when we don't understand it. When God says, I want you to come home, you know, there's no greater calling in all the world, and so we thank God for uh, Alina's life, and on Saturday at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a celebration of life. Uh, we do encourage you to be here, and uh, if you're planning to stay for the luncheon, I'm not sure if there is. Yeah, is there a sign-up out there, Diane? No, okay. Well, how many, uh, is there anybody here you think you may be staying for the luncheon? We're just trying to gauge numbers, okay? Uh, all right, uh, okay. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, yes, I see those hands. Yes, I see those hands. Okay, so... We just want to get kind of a little bit of a rough number as to how many people are, uh, you know, it's okay to raise your hand in church, okay, right? Even when, it's, when you're doing so to plan to eat. So we're going to celebrate a time after the, the uh, memorial service, uh, the celebration of life uh, with Alina's family, and we're just trying to gauge, get a little bit of a number of those who would plan to join, and so... Um, we're looking forward to it. Alina's uh, grandmother's here today, and uh, Denise, we welcome you. It's a joy to have you with us, and uh, we welcome you. Amen. Uh, I can tell you just from my observations, Alina could not have had uh, a better grandmother, and uh, yeah, the love and the, the kindness that you demonstrated in a very difficult time, the grace that was about you. Uh, shines, and so we we pray for you, and for all the family, for Andrew, her husband, and her children. Uh, you know, they they just need <clears throat> to know that God loves them, and have that reinforced each and every day. Cain and Laney, and we pray for them that the Holy Spirit will just speak powerfully into their hearts. So, you know, this morning as we've come, we also want to remember <clears throat> one of the. Uh, the great men of Bethel, and really that is Russell Franklin, who passed Saturday a week ago, and uh, the, the arrangements were held, uh, taken care of privately, so there was not a funeral service or a memorial service. And so if you didn't know Russell, uh, he would be here throughout the week many times, and, and it was amazing to me in the summer in the 90-degree uh, weather, he would be volunteering his time out working you know, on the church lawn and properties here uh, with his hand tools doing work about. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a title, but God honored his service, you know. And uh, I love to watch people who uh, serve the Lord and really are okay with it if there's not an audience to watch. And Russell was that kind of man that he served the Lord, and and uh, we know that uh, his absence is felt because he left something for us. Uh, that was a remembrance of what he did, how he served, and it challenges us today to do the same. And uh, so however you can serve, it would be wonderful to take up uh, the opportunity that God has given you to serve in some way. And uh, this morning, we also like to extend a, a special welcome uh, to Reverend Dennis 
Marquardt and his wife, Bevy Joe. They have served the Assemblies of God as a district superintendent for the Northern New England District for over 20 years, and uh, we're blessed to have them with us this morning. And uh, thank you for joining us. We are honored. It's a, a great honor to have you here, and uh, you know, I see you're sitting there, Tom and Cindy, so I assume that, uh, <clears throat> well, we're assuming you will testify to them. To them. We, we uh, love Tom and Cindy and, uh, and their family. I just have to rise a little bit. But anyhow, this morning as we, we've come together, please be in prayer for those who are affected by the uh, hurricane, uh, some of the devastation, if you've seen any of the footage, is, is quite severe, and there are those who have lost their lives and families who are suffering not only uh, the loss of all of their material possessions, but also some of them have suffered uh, the loss of loved ones as well. And uh, if you're interested, the Assemblies of God, uh, if you go to the General Council of the Assemblies of God website, they have uh, disaster relief uh, where you can certainly make contributions that will go to Convoy of Hope to help the people uh, who are in need. And maybe the Lord will have you do something other than that, but uh, that's certainly an option for you. And so this morning as we've come <coughs> to the Bethel, um, you know, one of the great things about um, reading the Scripture is that it is God's Word. And uh, it's not like anything else you might have read during the course of the week. I might have read a lot of stimulating stuff, but I can guarantee you, you've read nothing like this. Uh, this is the inspired and infallible and errant word of God that God gave to us to bring transformation into our lives and to change the world. You know, I was thinking this morning during our communion time how in the Old Testament uh, we were given the truth through the law. You know, the law provided the truth. Not the full range of, in God's due season, he would reveal something much fuller. But during that time, it really revealed the truth of man's uh, fallibility and his incapabilities of keeping the law. And when we think about the New Testament and, and the church here thereafter, we are living here on this earth as believers knowing that we have received not only the truth but the grace of God in Jesus Christ because the truth would crush us. You know, we couldn't handle the truth. You remember hearing somebody say that on a, on a movie or something? We couldn't handle the truth. If uh, all we had was the truth of how, how far we have fallen and how far away from God we are without a remedy, without the grace of God, that would be a terrible place to be. But I am so grateful today that the grace of God has brought me into the arms of the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. I'm part of the family of God. I've been born again. How many can testify to that in your life? You're born again. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't, uh, you have the great promise to be filled to overflow with the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to have all that he has purposed to give us. So in John chapter 8, <coughs> we want to talk about this morning what Jesus said about truth. Uh, and as we read that and we begin with the 30th verse of John chapter 8, uh, the word tells us, and he spoke these words, and as he spoke these words, many believed in him. The truth shall make you free. 
is uh, certainly the theme of this text. It says, then Jesus said to those disciples who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How about an amen for that? We're not living in bondage to what we once were. We weren't, we're not living in bondage to our old nature. We're not living in bondage to the spirit that rules over this lost world. Uh, we are free in, in, in the truth of who Christ is. And then Jesus said to those who believed him, if you abide in my word and you are my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make me free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, this morning, uh, it's very important to know uh, your identity in Christ, to know who you are in the Lord. And the only way you can know that is to know who the Lord has revealed himself to be. He restores us out of our broken nature, our sin nature. He redeems us out of deadness and resurrects us into life through the Holy Spirit. How many of you today know that you are fully alive? You may not physically feel fully alive, but inside of you there is a full, vigorous, Holy Spirit-generated life that comes from being a child of God. And, you know, I was reading a little story, or a little, not story, but a narrative from uh, Tony Evans. Uh, Tony Evans is a, a wonderful man, great speaker of the word, appreciate. Uh, he, he just breaks it down in very practical terms and speaks to, uh, truth. And he says, you and I are living in a day where you are watching the death of truth. The Bible calls it ever learning and never coming into the knowledge of the truth. They are collecting information, going to school, going to college, but never arriving at the truth. He said, it's amazing how dumb the educated are becoming as they stand at the graveyard of truth. Now, I didn't say that. He did, and I appreciated it. And you don't know who, you, who to believe who to listen to, who to follow. There is a communicative confusion on social media where everybody's got a thought and they want to share it. So you find yourself following and being followed. There is spiritual confusion, crickets in the pulpit, chiming noises without clarity. And he says, so the concept of truth is a question mark. What is it? Then there is rationalism. Uh, The view that truth is what you can logically and intellectually perceive. It becomes the mind of the academic, uh, the learned, the truth of which uh, your mind can grab and it makes sense to you and then it makes truth. For others, it's pragmatism. Pragmatism says truth is what works. It worked. If it worked, it's true. Truth is what works. There is uh, fideism. Truth is subjective. Uh, It's kind of how you feel, kind of what gets you moving on the inside. That's truth. And so uh, you've got all of these isms that are trying to help us to grab the subject of truth and to answer Pilate's question, what is truth? Jesus said, I have come to bring the truth. Truth can be defined as an absolute standard by which reality is measured. How many believe there is absolute truth today? Amen. Amen. Not absolute suggestions. You know, not vague 
you know, vague floating concepts, but real life truth that is authored in heaven and, and, and reaches this earth. And, it's, uh, and, and it, provi- it pervades the foundation for all that will thrive and survive. Uh, Tony Evans says, let me say again, the definition of truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth, is, he says, is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. Said it twice. First of all, you have to understand truth exists. How many here today believe there are, that truth does exist? I mean, it's important for you and I to be able to affirm our confidence that truth exists. Our children are depending on it. Our grandchildren are depending on it. We can't allow the secular world to be the primary educators of our children when it comes to these issues of truth. Because we're being told that what we believe to be true, whether in God's word, is no longer absolutely trustworthy. And I'm going to tell you, if that is peddled into our households and our children become believers and subscribers to the notion that, that we can no longer trust the scriptures as being what God inspired it to be, then, you know, the church has really lost its soul. It's lost its way. It's lost its foundation. And our children will, will go to the world for answers that are based upon lies. And so, you know, when we look at this, and he had much more to say about it, but I, I want to move down a little bit into some, some other things. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He told those who had begun to turn toward him and to believe upon him that if they remained in him and remained in his word, that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. And so there were those among them who didn't appreciate Jesus' comments. And how many know that if Jesus offended people, we stand a pretty good chance of doing the same? When you live the truth and you speak the truth, the truth is in itself offensive. You know, the truth of the gospel is an offense, but it is a truth that heals. It is a truth that redeems. It's a truth that brings liberation. And so why would we think that the devil will ever accommodate our, our, our projection of the truth of God? The devil's not sitting passively and indifferently when people walk out declaring the truth of God's word. You are going to be attacked. You understand that, right? When you live for the Lord, the enemy's not going to sit back and watch you while he enjoys some of the sinful uh, comforts that he presently enjoys, I want to tell you that when we live in truth, we are a real disturbance to the devil. I believe spiritually we can cause tremendous pain for the devil, and that really should be understood. When we live in the truth, hell retreats, heaven advances at hell's expense. The idea that truth can no longer be trusted. And, you know, I'm all for everybody really prayerfully examining and praying and seeking God and and looking to see uh, what the real essence of truth is. But I will always direct people to, to the Lord because that's where ultimate truth is found. I think about truth and how it impacts our lives. If you believe the truth, you are bold. If the, if the truth lives in you and you live in the truth, you are bold for Christ. You're not passive, you're not timid, you're not fearful. But you live in this day knowing that the truth of God resides in your heart and that your feet are planted on the truth 
So hell can bring what it does. The truth is not going to move, and we're not going to move from the truth, right? That rock is going to stay exactly where it is, and we are going to stand fast when the storms come. You know, those who, I think about uh, Gideon here for a moment, and I'm not preaching a separate sermon, but I do want to cite this. Uh, you know, Gideon was a, was a man of God, mighty man of valor, in fact. Gideon didn't see it that way in the beginning, and God visited with him and conveyed to him his real identity or, or presented it to him. You know, they were living in a time of great oppression, and Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press, and he's visited And his visitor tells him, you are a mighty man of God and begins to disclose to him what it is that God purposes to do in his life. And Gideon certainly didn't see that as being a possibility. But according to God's truth, he was a mighty man of valor. And he would realize that as he would move forward and see what God would do through him. And the important thing is that God worked through him and God, you know, God received the glory and the credit for all that would take place and he would be an instrument that God would use to get glory from, uh, from all creation. When we think about that, that there were those who believed the truth. They believed the truth of the mission. They believed in the credibility of the mission. But, you know, they started out with 32,000. How many know that 32,000 didn't stay to fight with the Midianites? You know, it, it, we're told uh, uh, by some that, that there were as many as 135,000 Midianites who had aligned to fight with an arm, the army of Israel. So you can see there were those who looked at those odds and they, they, they discounted the directives because they were afraid. And you know, uh, you know, God instructed Gideon to let those who were afraid go home. And you know, that really is what the enemy of our souls wants to see the church do today, to retreat in fear, to discount the, the, the promises of God's word. How many will hang on to those promises in spite of everything that comes against you because that's where life and hope is and that's where the promises of God are revealed? You know, and I think about the fact that of those 32,000 that were there, 22,000 left because they were afraid. So, you know, why am I even talking about this? Because 22,000 really weren't all in with the mission, and they, their fear was greater than their confidence in the mission. The directive that God gave is based upon infallible, uh, what do you call that, infallible reconnaissance. God knew there was 135,000 Midianites. God knew that there were only 32,000 Israeli soldiers. And God said to Gideon, he says, I want you to tell whoever wants to go home to go home because, you know, they really weren't going to be fit for the, the battle because their fear sent them home. So how many today will know that God wants your confidence in the truth to be greater than the fear that would try to usurp that confidence, to unseat that confidence, that the enemy of your soul wants to unseat the confidence that you have in God's word? And we as the church, this is not a day to become uh, 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 seeker-friendly in the sense that we distance ourselves from the full counsel of God's word and try to find that safer place 
where the heat's a little less and the firing is a little, uh, you know, we can handle the friendly, the friendly or unfriendly fire. God says, center yourself, align yourself in the truth, and then you, you will be my disciples and you will find freedom. I want to encourage all of our young people to know there is truth. There is truth. And the truth transforms lives. That there are people who have found real freedom from addictions and bondages and sin that they, they have struggled with for years and years and years. And when they came to Christ and they realized and they were introduced to who God is and who they, are, uh, who they were created to be, they have found freedom. Teen Challenge has seen a, an incredibly high success rate over the years in administering to those with drug addictions and other forms of addiction. Uh, the, the, the success rate has been very high, higher than almost all others. And that has to do with the fact that there, there is a truth upon which all of that is built. And truth uh, permeates the, the efforts and the ministries that are going forth into the people who are there. It's the truth that sets people free. You see, the, the half-truths and the lies might lead us into the sinful pleasures. But the truth will set us free from, uh, from the aftermath of what happens when we indulge in the sinful pleasures. God will be our friend. And he will lift us out of the darkness if we want to be lifted out of it into the truth, into the powerful, uh, life-changing truth. Truth is the elephant in the room. Everyone is searching for what they consider to be truth. Truth is powerful in the court of law. It should be, anyhow, uh, where uh, there is required evidence of proof, visual proof, collaborative truth and proof. Truth has sent the guilty to prison and has set the captives free. You know, it is, it is prosecutorial. And how many know that we are not the prosecutors of man's sin? We are the conveyors of the good news of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we don't speak regarding the issues that we need to speak to with a scriptural authority. You know, our children need to know, and as I've shared before, that life is sacred. They need to know that. Amen? They need to know the truth about that. Read Psalm 139 with your kids when you begin to question, is an unborn child, as we see it, really a human? I mean, if you're going to question humans, you might be able to start looking at the ones walking around if you're that concerned. And I say, you know, they look at these unborn children, they need to know the sanctity of marriage. They need to know the truth. They need to know the truth. They cannot be accommodated. You're not helping them by accommodating and facilitating something that is not true. I'm talking to the church. And when we see people who are living and bound up in the lies that destroy people, we need to share with them the grace and the truth of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? How many know, you know, say, well, I don't want to be offensive by sharing my faith with others. Well, that goes contrary to everything that Jesus called us to do. We're going to go into all the world and to proclaim this gospel to every creature on the planet. We have a calling. You have a calling. This isn't just for the preachers and the evangelists and the prophets and, the, and, and, and those, it's for every man and woman to bring this good news to the world so that they can find the truth, that they can be found by the truth and discover the truth in their lives that will set them free. 
You know, I think about the lie. You know, they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? Well, you know, sometimes uh, we have to understand that bondage refuses to recognize itself. You know, addictions uh, usually resist uh, anything that points to their existence because we see it as something different than that. You know, these people didn't realize that, you know, just on a natural plane that they had already been in bondage to Egypt, to, to the Philistines, to Persia, to Syria, and to Rome. They had already been in those bondages. I know if we look at it from a spiritual bondage point, they missed the mark there as well. Because they went back to Abraham and said, he is our father. And that was the go-to for anybody that Jesus made uncomfortable with the truth. We're of our father Abraham. Well, let me tell you, they, they didn't go back far enough. Because we all go back to Adam. How many know that? That's where the problem came in. They didn't go back far enough. And we can find some kind of justification for how we're living apart from God. But in reality, the fact of the matter is since Adam sinned and fell and Eve, all of us have had to deal with a sin nature. We're born into sin. That's why all have sinned. How many believe that when the scriptures say all have sinned? You know, and, and, and I know there's a whole discussion about children and, 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 and people who aren't able to make decisions. You know, we're all born with a sin nature, but I believe that sin nature, it, it, it develops and it becomes a beast when it is fed. And you get a lot of people who are born with the same nature, but they're never feeding that sin nature. And you know, I, can't, I can only tell you this much. The Bible tells us in Genesis 18, I believe 25, that God, that he's the just judge who will deal rightly. He's the judge of all the earth and he'll do the right thing. How many are confident that God will do the right thing? The problem is that they were selective in citing their ancestry which favored their, their view of themselves. You know, they didn't go back to Adam. They, they went to Abraham because Abraham, it was, the, it was the right answer to say we are, the, we are from our father Abraham if you were aiming for what they wanted to accomplish in deflecting the words of Christ. But the fact of the matter in Romans 5.18, therefore as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Aren't you glad for that today? All of us have sinned. You know, that's a problem. That sin nature is what Christ came to bring deliverance. What you're seeing in this world today is the fruit of of the sin nature gone wild. But how many know that the church needs to be unloosed? And, you know, it's not the world. You know, so many people are worried about the government prohibiting us from sharing the gospel, the schools from prohibiting us from sharing the gospel. I want to tell you this, and you may get very upset at me, and that wouldn't be the first. But I want to say to you today, nobody prohibits you from sharing Christ. So rather than whining about those who aren't accommodating us, understanding that we're in conflict with those uh, for whom we are, from whom we are seeking accommodation, we have authorization from God. He said, but you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Come on, church. 
How many here are witnesses for Jesus? You're telling the truth. Amen. Well, I'm going to finish this morning. I didn't say when, but I'm going to finish. So, okay. From Adam, and that is who, apart from Christ, we are inseparably uh, connected with. We will, we will find that he is our lineage in, in whom we have been, through whom we've been conceived. And we are, we, without being born again, we will die with that one fatal trait that has been passed on to every human being that's ever lived, and that is the sin nature. You see, sin is an inconvenient topic today because we call the sin many things and justify it by different terminologies. You know, to me, one of the words we've heard so often, which is, uh, uh, you know, has really been abused, is really the word tolerance. Forget about tolerance. Let's love people. That's what we call to do, right? Let's forget about tolerance. Tolerance has become a code word for you need to sign off on what I'm doing. I'm not here to prosecute people. That's not my judge. There's one God, one Holy Spirit who's the authority. But you understand something. I'm telling you this because the world's going to tell your children and my grandchildren and your grandchildren that there is no such thing as sin and there's no need for God. When you focus on evolution, and evolution is your, is your primary thrust in, in teaching, you, you know, the primary thing that that does is it eliminates God. It takes God out of the question, out of the, uh, out of the uh, you know, it takes them out, period, of that. But when you look at it, you can see all of these different philosophies and all of these different things that are crafted to exclude God or at least to minimize him. You know, that's what's out there to influence this generation of children, to either minimize their belief in God or to show them that their belief in God is folly. You know what the answer really has to be is the church has to be strong. Has to be strong in discipling people in the word, right? That's why we need to gather our families up and get them to church, right? That's why we need to have prayer time with our kids and need to be in the Word, right? I mean, how many of you fathers out there see yourselves as the, you and your spouse, as your wife, as the primary communicators of faith to your children? Don't leave it to the schools. Because if you're leaving it to the schools, and don't even leave it to the church. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the church is here, and, there, they, and as long as we're here, there will always be the truth of God's Word going forth in so many different ways. But your children need to have it from you first. Truth. Truth. They need to see it in action. As we, we look down the scriptures here, it was, it was the go-to claim of Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, uh, of his um, opponents who would say, we're of our father Abraham. And you know, Jesus encountered their claim uh, and he reacted to it with the strongest indictment of their character that he could have made. And you know what he said? He said, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if Abraham's children, you were Abraham's children, you would not do the, uh, you would do the works of Abraham. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I have heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. 
And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. And you see right there the insult that they threw back at Jesus. But, uh, you know, to try to slander him with a lie that he had been Ill- illegitimately conceived. They, on the other hand, were the children of Abraham. And he says, we have one father, God. And I'm going to tell you, not everything that it's called God has anything to do with God. Not everything that calls itself Christian has much to do with Christ. And so we need to have both the the truth and we need to have the grace and the love of God that are inseparable components at work in in our personal lives and in the life of the church. But Jesus goes down in verse 44 of John 8 and he says, You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He called them children of the devil. How about that for a message? That's a showstopper, isn't it? He says, you're of your father, the devil. And he says, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You know why they wanted to claim Abraham? Matthew twenty two thirty two. 32, it says, I am the God of Abraham, uh, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. See, they let, that, was, that was really a good claim for them to say, we're children of Abraham, because God identified himself as the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and so they were affiliated with Abraham, and therefore, they didn't need to hear what Jesus had to say. James 2.23 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So it would be reasonable why they would identify themselves with Abraham, right? Bondage. You know, bondage is, is real. How many of you have ever lived in bondage of any kind? Anybody? You say, I'm not ashamed of that because that's what I once was, but that's not who I am now. Aren't you glad you can say that's who I was, but that's not who I am? That my life is covered with the grace of God. I live in the truth. I thrive. I once lived deceived by the lies that the fallen nature was susceptible to, but the Holy Spirit lives in me, and he guides me in the truth, and he gives me the ability to discern truth from error. God's given his word. It took a while for the prodigal son to recognize the depths of his personal enslavement to sin and its consequences, but it did come when he realized that he was eating, he was longing to eat what the pigs had, and he said, I am going to go home. I have sinned against God, and I've sinned against my father. I'm no longer worthy to be called a father. He was willing to go home to be a servant because he realized how deeply he had slid into this bondage. And you know, as bad as that sounds, it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment when a sinner, and we've all been sinners, right? We, didn't, we weren't hatched out of some uh, insular egg that kept us from sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature that Jesus gave us life and victory over and gave us the ability to live free uh, from its, uh, its control. But here we look and we see bondage. You know, it's seldom recognized. They said, Abraham's our father. They didn't recognize the bondage. And you know, the thing is, most of us don't recognize it when we're living in it. 
when recognized, it often is surrendered or explained as a, a guilty pleasure with a little chuckle. But the Bible talks even about a sin that leads to death. 1 John 5, 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life to those, uh, for those who commit sin not leading to death. It says there is a sin leading to death. And I do not say that he should pray about All I'm saying about this because I've read different things about this and there's a lot of different thoughts about it. But, you know, when it talks about a sin leading to death, what it really is pointing to is a rejection of truth. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.1, he, uh, um, uh, he that hardens his neck after much reproof will be cut off, and that's suddenly without remedy. And it's not because God's grace is not long enough, strong enough uh, to reach into that situation, but when people become so calloused and so hardened, and reject it and resist the truth, there becomes these, this, this hard shell over the soul and the mind that rejects the truth. You know, we're not going to reject the truth. We're going to embrace it. Amen. Hebrews 7 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which devour the adversaries. You say, what are you reading that for? Well, I'm saying this, that, you know, we've been delivered out of that and we live, we live in freedom in Christ. We're not enslaved to sin. But the, when we understand that when, when, the, when the soul that continues in sin, and he says they're after having received the knowledge of the truth, you know, maybe they didn't have a personal relationship with Christ, but they knew enough to have some form of knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people out there who know some of the basic truths of Christianity. There are people who celebrate Christ on Christmas and Easter. They know that he was born of a virgin, and they know that he died upon a cross. And they may know some of the things in between and can talk and articulate those things, maybe even well. But until we are born again, that truth does not bring the transformation that Jesus wanted us to have because as he abides in us and we in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Tammy, would you come and give these folks hope? Uh, fear. Fear is bondage. Truth destroys fear. Truth destroys fear. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, there was a, a young man. We lived in a little sheltered town of, uh, I would call it White Hicks. Any other white hicks here? You know what I'm talking about? And in our town, you know, we never saw anybody that, that was not like us. Didn't know, we never saw anybody that wasn't like us. So one day there was a, a, an Asian kid that moved to the neighborhood, and he was a paper boy, and I was just a little kid, and I was, I was in ignorance. I didn't know. I was horrified. And he knew I was afraid of him. He chased me all over the neighborhood. And it came to one day, he chased me, and I got cornered up against this house. And he always growled when he chased me. And I was a kid, and I thought, well, do all these people do this? Do all, all the people do this? And uh, so he got up, and he got right in front of me, and he ran down, and he growled, and then he smiled and walked away. In my ignorance, I was afraid of him. I didn't know. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are living in ignorance, and they don't realize that their personal demons are not stronger than the grace that can save them. 
You know, I thank God that we don't have to wear labels of what we were before we came to Christ. That we don't have to come to church and say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm uh, you know, I'm a recovering. You know, I thank God the recovery is, uh, is advanced as Jesus gives us strength to advance in the new life and away from the old one. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.14, it says, And as much then as the children have taken uh, of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death rule their lifetimes subject to bondage. Truth defeats fear. Legalism is bondage. Hedonism is bondage. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, stand, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free. Come on, come on and can embrace that. Stand fast in the liberty that, of Christ by which we have been made free. We're not going to be taken back into the bondage of the old life. We are no longer slaves of sin. We have been set free to live this life as lights in a world that is filled with darkness, to live according to the truth. Don't move away. What he's saying is don't move away from the truth that brought you into a saving relationship with Christ to embrace legalism. Instead of going back into legalism, my prayer is those who live in legalism will be brought into freedom. Believing that as a child of God that we are still slaves to the sin nature and to the old way of life is in itself bondage constructed and reinforced in lies. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Come on, church. How about a little amen? You do that and help me finish. Uh, uh, we'll have a roar. The, but, but you were cleansed. How many of you were cleansed? You were made holy. Come on, church. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to invite you to stand. That will make you feel even more comfortable. Grace and truth are responsible for cleansing us. Jesus uh, cleansed us but through the efficacy of his word. John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus speaks truth. You're sanctified, you're brought out of the secular and sinful, and you are set aside for holy purposes. Jesus prayed for you today, and all of us, when he said, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. You're justified. You don't have to claim someone else. You claim Jesus. You don't have to say, I went to church, I was a good person, you know, I've read the Bible, I, I, I know that stuff. You don't have to lay claim to the things that are incomplete at best. You can lay your hands around the truth of God's Word and say, through the Word of God, I am redeemed and I am saved and I am strong and I am powerful and I am discerning, not by anything I've done, but by the gracious goodness of God. God's grace and truth are inseparable. You know, the truth is a two-edged sword. And I know we're talking about uh, uh, an enemy to be, uh, a, a weapon to be used against the enemy. But it says that it pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit. You know, sometimes the word of God will cause pain. But will always bring healing if you allow it to. 
You know, it cuts through that indiscernible divide between soul and spirit, the spiritual aspect of a man and the identity, the, the, the mind, the thought processes uh, of, of the flesh, the man, the man, the man, the mind and spirit, the dividing of asunder, that word pierces, that truth pierces. It's not, it's not, it's not powerless. It's not dull. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, if you're praying for your family to, to, to come back to the Lord, you pray the truth. Pray the word of God. Lay claim to their redemption, their salvation, their their coming home, that the prodigals will return home and those in our neighborhoods will allow us. You say, I'm afraid of the pain that this will cause if I identify my situation as sin. I want to tell you, how many know that pain is a good thing in the sense that times that it prevents further injury uh, and it allows the early stages of healing to take place. I recently broke my foot. And uh, one of the things they said was stay off of it as much as possible. And I didn't. And I know that even though it was uncomfortable and sitting still didn't really seem to work well. You know, sometimes the pain that's caused is not a, it's not a destructive pain. It's not a pain that will diminish you or deplete you. It's, a, it's the pain of God's Word penetrating into the depths with truth and life and injecting our spirit with redeeming truth. Truth may be mocked, and that's okay. How many say, you know what, you can mock the truth. It's not going to change who I am in Christ doesn't change the truth, doesn't alter the truth, doesn't diminish the truth. Truth is precise and penetrating. Last of all, it's an awful exchange to trade the truth for a lie. And the Bible talks about fallen men uh, exchanging the truth for a lie. That is a terrible exchange. What you get in return for the truth is lies and death and all of the bad stuff. You know, the the uh, uh, money changers in the temple, Jesus really didn't mince many words in his, through his word and behavior when he threw them out. You know, they were, were, they were giving bad returns on money. They were cheating and they were taking from people. And the enemy's a cheater and a liar and a thief. Don't exchange the truth for a lie. The truth, you know, the lie may say, hey, you want to live the, the high life? You want to have the good life? You want to have friends? You want to have money? You want to have whatever it is you want to have? You just compromise a little bit here and there. You, give your, you can live in church on Sunday and live like you want to the rest of the week. I want to tell you that is a flat-out, bold-faced lie. When you look at the people around you, God loves them. Just uh, I, I don't know if it was Josh that said, he was saying that God uh, shed his, his blood not only for us, but for those in the, in the community and in the world. And you know, we gotta know, we're not here to prosecute people for the sin that controls people, but we are appointed as messengers to speak truth into their lives, to love them, to care for them. Lord, I thank you. How many raise your hands today and say, Lord God, I want your truth and your grace and your truth to overtake me today. Take me where I've never gone. Help me to become what I've never been. Help me to do the things that, Lord God, 
are supernaturally moved by the hand of God. The things that aren't done in the natural because we believe with our logical reason that God can't do the impossible, that God can't do the supernatural, that God is the God of the supernatural. He lives in the supernatural and He invites us to dwell in Him and in Christ. And therefore, we can walk with endowment and spiritual power and authority to pray effectual prayers. God, we want to pray effectual prayers, but that means we've got to sell out to the truth. That God is who He says He is. He does what He says He'll do. And Lord God, we're going to live in all of that. We praise you, Lord God. How many of you just lift your hands for the students in our schools and all of the young people in our college campuses? All of the people who are, are, are out in the workplace. All the young people that are in the workplace. Lord, I, I pray, Father, that, that, Lord, that there will be revelation in every place. That there will be light and life as we, as the body of Christ, not only here today, but believers everywhere, Lord God, will go forth and be the light that God has called us to be. The light doesn't have to make a lot of noise. The light just has to live, and the light has to move, and the light has to touch the lives of others by its presence. Lord, we pray that every lie that has entrapped, and maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and maybe it is that you have been ensnared by a lie for a long time. You've been defeated by lies. You're told that you'll never be anything. You'll never, ever go beyond where you're at. You'll never be able to to advance in life, that you're just living life and hanging on and trying to get through. God is speaking specifically to you today that he wants you to know the abundant life that his son, Jesus Christ, came to provide for you. Whereas the devil is a thief that comes only but to steal, to kill, and destroy, Jesus came to give you and I life abundantly. And we're taking that today. Come on, church. We're taking that abundant life. We're receiving it, Lord God. We, Lord, we renounce anything in our lives that would hinder the flow of your spirit into our lives. Lord God, forgive us. And Lord, we know that as you said, if you confess your faults, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How many say, I'm taking that today, that the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Some of you are tormented by things that you've done in your past that you cannot forgive yourselves of. And God is saying, you are clean. That's what you were. But today you are clean. You are whole. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to praise Him. And I'm shutting up. Let's just lift up your praise before the Lord. Hallelujah. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then you're living in freedom. God, we we receive that. Glory to God. Let us step out from the lie and into the truth. God, thank you. Let us step out. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.